Welcome to the Rock Podcast. Sometimes our troubles overwhelm us and give us a sense of hopelessness. In today's study from Mark chapter 2, one of man's greatest adversities becomes his greatest asset, and all because Jesus wanted to use it for God's glory. Now let's join Pastor Jim with a message entitled Through the Roof. Now it's always a privilege to uh, be standing up here on behalf of Pastor Ross. I consider him the greatest preacher on the face of the planet, an awesome mentor and man of God. He's been living for Jesus for 35 years. He's committed to the word. He's gifted. And, and uh, so for me, this is one of the, the greatest honors in my life to speak on his behalf. So uh, why don't you go ahead and open in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2 for this morning's Bible study. And while you're doing that, I'm going to pray and ask our Father's blessing on our time in his word. So Heavenly Father, we just want to praise you and, and give you honor and glory. Our desire this morning is, is to hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. We're sitting at your footstool. Our ears are open. Our, our hearts are open. Lord, speak to us. Uh, use your word and use my simple little message to make changes in our life that will impact everyone around us. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Now, perhaps you've heard the story of Nick Vujicic, the man born with no arms and with no legs. He tells the story of how when he was born, his dad was there and and he saw his son coming out of the womb and his shoulder came out first and, and he gasped because he realized that his son had no arm. And so he had to walk away. He couldn't believe it. My son has no arm. Eventually, the doctor made his way over to Nick's dad and, and started to talk to him. And he said, no, 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 doc. I already know. My son, he's got no arm. And the doc said, no. Your son has no arms and no legs. Unbelievable. No medical explanation for it whatsoever. An absolute mystery. And of course, you can imagine the difficulties that Nick faced as he grew up. I mean, the physical limitations as a child, no climbing trees, no riding bikes, the bullying, also the depression. Nick speaks of how when he was young, he tried to take his life in a bathtub. So very, very difficult for this man. But you know what? God was going to use Nick's brokenness to bring him the greatest gift that anybody could have on the face of this planet, and that is the gift of the forgiveness of sins. See, Nick's brokenness was going to lead him to Christ. Way better than arms, way better than legs, says Nick. Now, in our story today, we're going to meet a man who's broken. 
he's paralyzed. But his brokenness will end up bringing him to the feet of Jesus, where lives and destinies are changed. And my hope and prayer for us this morning is that we'll see that Jesus uses our brokenness not only to minister to us, but also to the world around us. So Mark chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 to begin our study. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many people gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. So let's talk first about how Jesus uses the word to minister to our brokenness. Now Jesus was a preacher of the word of God. He's there at home in Capernaum, which is on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, over in the land of Israel. Really it was his ministry headquarters. And by this time, Jesus was famous because of all of the things that he was doing. He was delivering people from the evil in their lives. You remember the story of the man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit, and Jesus delivered that man, rescuing him from the evil in his life. Jesus was also healing people all over the place. I think of the story of the man who had leprosy, just a social outcast, a social, just excommunicated from society. Lepers in those days, no friends, no family, no hope, no dreams. They had to walk around with their hair disheveled, their clothes torn apart, and any time they got even close to another human being, they had to cry out, unclean, unclean. But then Jesus enters the scene. He touches this man and changes his life completely. And so when Jesus here, when people hear that Jesus is coming to town, they flock to him in droves. Verse 39 of chapter one says that people were coming from everywhere to see Jesus. He was kind of like a movie star, that kind of attention. A movie star pulls up in their limo, he gets out, everyone right to the movie star. Jesus, of course, didn't want that kind of attention, but that's how it was. The multitudes of people, each with their own problem, each with their own issue, knowing that Jesus Christ was the answer, knowing that Jesus Christ was their hope. Now, the house there was packed. There was no room, not even outside the door, and everybody is straining to hear what Jesus had to say. So just imagine this room. It's pretty packed right now, but now imagine all of the aisles are full, the stage is full, and outside of the building, people are all around. People are putting their ears up against the building just to hear what Jesus had to say. And I love what our text says. It says, and Jesus preached the word to them. Jesus preached the word to them. Now you'd think by the emphasis of some people that Jesus' primary ministry was healing. That's just not the case. That was part of his ministry, but that was not Jesus' primary ministry. Jesus' primary ministry was to preach the word of God because the word of God touches the soul. It gets down in deep. It divides soul and spirit. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of our hearts, as Hebrews 4.12. It tells us where we're off and how to get right with the living God. Mark chapter 1, verses 38 and 39, Jesus' words, he says, Let us go somewhere else 
to the nearby villages so I can preach there also, for that is why I have come. And so Jesus was a preacher of the word of God. And what's fascinating to me is that is also one of the titles that is given to Jesus. A title speaks of who you are and also of what you do. And Jesus has a whole host of titles that he goes by in the New Testament. Son of God that speaks of his deity. Son of man that speaks of his humanity. Son of David that speaks of his human ancestry. And he also goes by the word of God. John chapter 1 and verse 1 says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So whoever this word is, he is God. And then you scroll down on the page to verse 14 of John chapter 1 and says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we know that to be none other than Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 13, speaking of the end of the seven year tribulation period, Jesus is coming back in the clouds of heaven with great power and glory, with the angels and with the saints to judge the world in righteousness. And that text says, and his name is the word of God. Now, Words serve one purpose, don't they? To communicate. And so Jesus, by having the name and the title, Word of God, that tells us what his purpose is. That he came to communicate to us, to you and to me, who God is, what God is like, and what he requires of us. The world is doing a lot of guessing when it comes to God. See, pretty much everybody in the world believes that there's a God. Romans chapter one, verses 19 and 20 tells us that God has made it obvious to everyone that he exists through the creation. Theologians call that general revelation that through looking around at people and zebras and and anything else in creation that it's a no-brainer that we didn't just end up here by accident. So, Just because though, just because people know that God exists, that does not mean that they know who he is. It does not mean that they know what he is like or what he requires of us. So there is a need for special revelation. There is a need for God to show us who he is, for God to show us what he is like. There is a need for God to communicate to us, and that's who Jesus is. He is the word of God who has come down from heaven to communicate to us who God is, what he is like, and what he requires. John chapter 14, verse nine, Jesus says, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In other words, if you've seen me, you've seen God. And then in verse 10 of that same chapter, Jesus says, the words I speak to you are not my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me. In other words, if you've heard my words, you've heard the words of God. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 says, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And so Jesus is the word of God coming to communicate to us who God is and what he is like. And by the way, a little sidebar, Jesus is not named after the Bible. 
We call the Bible the word of God. It's not like the New Testament writers got together and they say, well, we call the Bible the, New Te- the, the word of God, and so let's just give that nickname to Jesus. No, that's not the case. It's the other way around. The Bible is actually named after Jesus, who is the word of God, because all of the Bible serves one purpose, and that is to point us to Jesus Christ. John chapter 5 and verse 39, Jesus said to the Jews, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are those which testify about me. Now when Jesus preached the word of God, he had two goals, and by the way, Jesus Christ is still preaching. He's resurrected and he's alive. He's just not here on earth in a physical body. He's in heaven. And so he preaches now through his people. But he had two goals when he preached. First, the salvation of souls. Jesus was all about people coming to know who God is. John chapter five and verse 39. Again, Jesus says, I say these things to you so that you might be saved. You see, his preaching addressed the fundamental questions of life that we all have. What's wrong with our world? What is going on with the evil and the wars and the terror? What's wrong with me? Why am I depressed? Why am I anxious? Why why are all of these things going wrong? What is going on? Jesus addressed those things. Does God care about me? There are seven billion people on the face of this planet, and I'm a nothing, I'm a nobody, my family, they don't even care about me, I'm insignificant, so why would an all-powerful, all-knowing God who sits on the throne of heaven, ruling the universe, even think about me? Does God really care about me, and what happens when I die? Do I just go to sleep forever? Do I close my eyes and enter into eternal sleep? It's it, I'm just done. Do I, do I die and turn into a tree or a, a blade of gl- a grass or a fly? Do I blend into the universe? Do I, do I go to nirvana? What happens when I die? And, and how do I ever find peace and satisfaction in this life? Because the pills I'm taking, they don't work. I can't find peace in this life. What are the answers to these, lo- these questions that I have in life? And Jesus addressed each and every single one of those questions. He addressed our brokenness, if you would, in his preaching. He said, you want to know what's wrong with the world and what's wrong with your life? It's sin. It's the fall. It's Genesis chapter 3. When humanity rebelled against me, it changed everything separated from God, separated from the author of life. And that's why you see the problems in the world. And that's why you see the problems in your day-to-day life. Does God care about you? Of course God cares about you. Matter of fact, God loves you. And he doesn't only love you, he loves the whole world. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have life everlasting. Oh, such precious, precious words from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What happens when I die? Jesus says, hey, there's a resurrection. People either go up or they go down. And I'm here to tell you, I want to take you up. Matter of fact, I am the resurrection and the life. And he that believes on me, even though he dies, yet shall he live. And he that lives and believes on me shall never die. 
You're looking for peace. You're looking for satisfaction in this life. It's only found in me. Matter of fact, Jesus says, Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened with the things in this life, and guess what I have for you? Rest for your souls. Jesus says, you're broken. Guess what? I'm the answer. I am the one you need. And so come to me and trust in me. So first, Jesus, in his preaching, addressed our salvation. And also, he addressed our sanctification. That's just a big word. It means to be set apart for God, to be different than the world around you. It has to do with Christian maturity and and Christian growth and discipleship, being a learner of Jesus Christ and growing in day-to-day practical holiness. All of that comes through the word of God. That's the words of Jesus. John chapter 17 and verse 17. Jesus is praying to God the Father. He says, Father, sanctify them through the truth. Your word is truth. You see, Jesus doesn't want to just give you a ticket to heaven and then leave you the way you are. He wants to change your life. He wants to make you more like him. You see, Jesus is the preeminent being in all of the universe. He's the perfect being. He's perfect in love, perfect in peace, perfect in grace. He's perfect in every character quality that we admire, every attribute. He's absolutely perfect. And he wants to make you just like him day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, progressively changing you and transforming you and making you more like him until the day when you see him face to face and you shall be just like Jesus. That's what he wants to do. 10 years ago, I was a junkie. I was the scum of the earth, just a, just a dirt bag, if you would, just a No reputation and no care for anyone else in this world but myself. But today, obviously, obviously that's not the case. Something has happened to me. I'm a pastor now. and, And people, when they hear my testimony, when they hear about how I used to be a junkie and now I'm a pastor, their jaw drops. They don't believe the story. How does that happen? I mean, I thought that you were a Christian your entire life. I thought you grew up in the church. How did you do that? Was it self-reformation? Did you just will yourself to be a good boy and just make that commitment? I'm never going to do anything bad again in my life. Is that how you did it, Jim? No. It was the word of God. The word of God gets in us and changes us and fixes our brokenness and the problems in our life and makes us more like Jesus. I like the way the apostle Paul says it in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. He says, all scripture is God breathed. And guess what? It's profitable for teaching. You want to know about God? You want to know what he's like, what he requires? Get in the word. It's profitable for teaching and rebuking. It'll tell you where you're wrong. It's profitable for correcting. It'll tell you how to get that right. And for training in righteousness. Day-to-day, practical, holy living for the living God. Now, I am so glad that 10 years ago, after I gave my heart to Jesus, I sat down with Pastor David Leppard, and he 
scooted the Bible my way and he opened it up to the table of contents and he, he circled some of the books in there and he said, kid, you need to read these books, okay? Because they're going to change your life. And after you read these five books, then I want you to read the whole Bible and I want you to do this every day for your entire life because this is what's going to make the difference. This is what is going to make you more like Jesus. You see, Jesus uses the word to minister to our brokenness. Now let's move on, verses three through five. Some men came bringing to Jesus a paralytic carried by four of them. And since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. So first we talked about how Jesus uses the word to minister to our brokenness. And now we're going to talk about how Jesus uses people to minister to our brokenness. Now check out the faith of these guys. It just, it goes to show that you don't have to be a big name like Billy Graham or Franklin Graham or, or Greg Laurie to be used by God. This passage tells me that God can use me that God can use you, that God can use anybody. I, I love this. You have four friends. They're unknown. They're unnamed. I mean, we won't even know who they are until we get to heaven. But, but they know about Jesus. They know who he is and they know what he can do, that he can change lives and he can change destinies. And they, they have this friend who needs Jesus, just like all of us need Jesus, and just like all of us have friends who need Jesus, and, and, and their friend, he's unable to get to Jesus on his own. He's paralyzed, and they didn't have wheelchairs back then. They did not have the paratransit. Uh, people like that were absolutely dependent upon their friends. Acts chapter 3 tells the story of the lame man who had to be carried to the temple on a daily basis just so that he could beg for, for money for food. You see, disabled people back then were totally helpless and dependent. And this man, he wasn't going to go anywhere. He was not going to come to Jesus unless he had someone in his life who cared enough to carry him to Jesus. He wasn't coming to Jesus unless he had someone in his life who cared enough to take him to Jesus. And he wasn't coming to Jesus unless he had someone in his life who believed that Jesus had the power and the ability to transform this man's life. The guys in our story, they cared about their friend. The guys in our story, they believed that Jesus could do above and beyond all that we could ask or imagine. And I just thought about that. I want to be that kind of guy. The kind of guy who loves people. The kind of guy who believes that Jesus Christ can change people's life and the kind of faith that leads me to action. That's the kind of faith and love that these guys had. Their faith led to action. Their faith gave them legs, if you would, and ultimately their faith would end up giving this man legs. So he's there lying on a mat, and just imagine in your mind a, a makeshift stretcher, and what I imagine is a yoga mat with four handles on the end, and each person, they're doing their own part, okay? So each person grabs a handle. 
Each person grabs one corner of the mat. And two questions popped up into my mind as I was studying this passage of scripture. One, how heavy was this man? He could have been a very big man. And so that could have been a very difficult thing for them to do, to carry a big man. And the second question that came into my mind was, how far did they have to take him? I think when you just do a cursory read, you think, well, you know, they, he, he was just living next door, and so they just put him on his mat, and they carried him one house down. But it's entirely possible that he lived in another village. And so they would have had to carry him that far. And so the point being, it was not an easy task. These guys had to be radically devoted. Even when they got to the house, I mean, you imagine them just sweating and, oh, we're finally here, bro. We're, we're, we're here. We're going to get you to Jesus. And they get there and then there's a crowd outside and nobody wants to let anybody else pass through. Could you imagine the frustration? And yet they didn't give up. One of the guys had a bright idea. He said, let's raise the roof on this place. Let's take them to the roof. You see, back in those days, the roof was like a modern day porch. And so there was a stairway on the side of the house. And so uh, people would go up there and they would spend time up there. You remember Acts chapter 10, Peter is at Cornelius's house in Caesarea over on the coast of Israel. And he decides, I'm going to go up on the roof to pray. And so the rooftop is like a porch. People had their rocking chairs out there, their magazines, their lemonade. They talked with one another. They prayed. Those kind of things, just like we do today. Now, the roof was also, uh, it was made out of timber, uh, brush, and dirt tiles. And oftentimes it grew grass. So it was like having a lawn up there. And so these guys are saying, hey, let's go up on the roof and let's dig a hole in the roof and let's lower down our friend. Brilliant idea, by the way. Imagine, though, <laughs> what people must have been saying when they started digging. Imagine like you're outside and the dirt's flying over the roof. You're like, what in the world is going on? You hear tree branches snapping and all that. It's like, quiet, I'm trying to hear Jesus. Imagine, because Jesus is in the house preaching like what's going on today. And people are listening to Jesus and there's a hole being ripped open. Now imagine today if someone were to rip a hole in this roof and all the dirt's flying, right? And all the insulation's coming down on you. It would just interrupt everything. Imagine the owner of the house. <laughs> what is going on? Oh my goodness. The point is, is it's not easy bringing people to Christ always. It can be a heavy, what? Yeah, yeah. It could be a heavy burden. I mean, people have a lot of issues. It, it can be a, a long journey. You know, my wife told me the story of her friend who didn't come to know Jesus until he was 91 years old. And, and some of us have people in our lives that we've been working on for a super long time. It, it can be a difficult process. It can be a long journey with obstacles and objections, but people can't get to him without you. You see, I'm so grateful that people were devoted to bringing me to Christ. I mean, I was a real heavy burden with my lifestyle. It was a real difficult process. I mean, I was my own obstacle. I was giving objections to everyone. I think of my grandmother a few weeks before I actually came to Jesus Christ. She was trying to talk to me about the Lord. I said, no, thank you. I'm not interested. I'd rather hear about dead spirits talking to people. See, 
That's how I was. You see, but people, they didn't give up on me. I think of all of the people who must have been praying for me as they crossed my paths. All of the Christians, when they see this kid, they're like, dear God, save that kid because he is lost. He is beyond hope, but only through you, Jesus. So I think of all of these people who must have been praying for me all throughout my life, and, and they grabbed one handle of my mat, if you would. I think about how I worked at a grocery store when I lived in Idaho. I worked at Albertsons and I was a checker. And this lady came through my line and at the end of the transaction, I handed her a receipt. And then she handed me a gospel track, a piece of literature that talks about Jesus. And I had two words on the front of that gospel track, two words that I will never ever forget, born again. And when I read those words, I felt like someone was trying to communicate to me that someone was the Lord. And so that lady took up one handle of my mat. And then I think about my friend from high school. I saw her in in college. I went to the library and there she was, coincidentally, imagine that. And she had given her heart to the Lord and she was on fire. And so she sat me down and she talked to me for an hour about everything that Jesus Christ was doing in her life. And at the end of the conversation... She prayed for me and gave me a Bible. Now, I didn't get saved at that time, but I thought about God for three days straight because of that experience. She grabbed one handle of my mat. And then I think about my Nana, my precious Nana. On the night that I gave my life to Jesus Christ, she was telling me about how Jesus could make streams in my desert, how he could give me a brand new life, a brand new beginning, make me into a a new creation, cause me to be born again. And she asked me that blessed question, Jimmy, do you want to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? And the rest is history. She grabbed one handle of my mat. Together they brought me to Jesus, each carrying part of the burden. Now what about you? I know you care for souls. I know you want to see people come to Jesus Christ. I know that you believe that God can do all things because look at what he's done in your life. It's time for each and every single one of us to grab a hold of a handle. You see, the people around us are spiritually paralyzed because of their sin. And they're not going to come to Jesus unless we grab hold of a handle and bring them to Christ. You see, your friends need you, your family needs you, your neighbors need you, your coworkers need you, and your classmates desperately, desperately need you. Each of us needs to grab hold of a handle. And how do we do that? praying, grab a hold of God's ear and pray for people. We grab a hold of someone's hand and we say, come on to church. I go to a wonderful church with an amazing pastor, Pastor Ross, come on out, listen to him talk. It's wonderful. The people are really nice. We grab a hold of someone's ear. We sit them down. We tell them, this is what Jesus Christ has done in my life. And this is what he can do in your life as well. Luke chapter 10 and verse 2, Jesus says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers there are few. See, God is looking for people to use. He wants to use people like you and me. Let's be among those few who allow God to use us to bring people to Christ. Amen? Now check out what happens for people When we grab hold of the handle, verse five, Jesus says, your son, your sins are 
forgiven. That's the greatest gift of all, the forgiveness of sins. There's nothing more important in this life than to have that. And that's why Jesus tackles this first, his spiritual issue, before he even dresses, addresses the man's physical condition. Because if Jesus would have simply just healed the man without addressing his sin, the guy would have walked out of the room, lived his life, eventually died, and then went to hell. You see, forgiveness affects eternity. Those who are forgiveness, they go to heaven. Those who have forgiveness, they go to heaven. Those who don't have forgiveness, they don't go to heaven. And you're in one of those two camps today. You see, with forgiveness, this man receives the ability to walk through the gates of heaven. You see, there's nothing better than the forgiveness of sins. I'm going to be open and, and share a story with you about a friend. Uh, well, he was a friend to me, but I wasn't a friend to him long before I was a Christian, when I was just a, a very evil person. Uh, I, had a, I had a friend, and um, we hung out all the time, and so I knew his locker combination. And when he went to PE class, I would go into his locker and I would open his wallet and I would take money out. And I did this for a couple weeks. And I remember my friend uh, coming to his locker after PE class and opening his wallet and looking inside and, and shaking his head and just saying, I, I don't understand. I don't understand why this is happening to me. I, I don't understand who's doing this to me. And when he was saying that, I was so convicted and so guilty, but I didn't want him to know it was me, so I hid it. I hid my sin. Several years later, we were, we were talking, and, and, and I decided I was going to confess to him what I had done. And so I told him, bro, it was me. I'm the, one who, I'm the one who did that to you. And he looked at me in the eyes, and he said, I know. I knew it was you the whole time. I was just waiting for you to confess. And he said, I forgive you. And I'll never forget the feeling that I had, the warm tears and just the, the release. I, I couldn't believe it. I thought our relationship was over, but it wasn't. He accepted me still. He forgave me. But the forgiveness that I received from my friend, that forgiveness pales in comparison to the forgiveness that God offers to each and to every single person. He is willing to forgive all of your sins, everything you've ever done, past, present, future, in word, in thought, and in deed, casting them into the sea of forgetfulness as far as the east is from the west. Now, I think we can grasp how priceless and how uncomparable uh, this gift is to us by looking at what it cost for Jesus to be able to say, I forgive you. When Jesus was on the cross 2,000 years ago, suspended between heaven and earth, nails in his wrists, a nail in his ankles, beaten and bloodied, after six hours on the cross, Jesus cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, the price for us to be forgiven was that Jesus had to go to the cross. 
Jesus had to suffer the pain of the nails, but worse than that, the pain of being forsaken by God the Father for the first time in all of eternity and in all his life. And at the very end of that experience, as Jesus is hanging there, he says, it is finished, which is an accounting term, meaning paid in full. The price for him to be able to forgive your debt has been paid. And so now Jesus can say, I forgive your sins. And so if you have been forgiven by God, you have the most precious gift on the face of the planet. You could have nothing, but if you have forgiveness, you have everything. And you can have everything, but if you don't have forgiveness, you have absolutely nothing. And so if you are a believer in Jesus Christ today, it doesn't matter what's going on in your life, you have been forgiven and you have a reason to rejoice and to praise Almighty God. And if you don't have faith in Jesus Christ yet, if you have not yet received your forgiveness, know this, that today it can be yours. Jesus offers to you forgiveness. He already knows what you've done. He knows it all. He's just waiting for you to confess. He's just waiting for you to acknowledge your sin before him. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. And so if that's you today, if you're in that camp, put your trust in Jesus. He'll forgive all of your sins. You'll have a relationship with the living God. Now let's finish up verses six through 12. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take up your mat and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, Take up your mat and go home. And he got up, he took up his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we've never seen anything like this. Wow. So first we talked about how Jesus uses, our, uses his word to minister to our brokenness. And then we talked about how Jesus uses people to minister to our brokenness. Now let's just talk about how Jesus uses our brokenness. I mean, if it wasn't for this man's brokenness, if it wasn't for the fact that he was paralyzed, he never would have found himself at the feet of Jesus. And he never would have received the forgiveness of sins. That's my story. And that's a lot of people's stories. Oftentimes, we have to be brought down, if you would, like this man, before we can look up to Jesus and receive that forgiveness of sins. But also, if it wasn't for this man's brokenness, Jesus' identity would have never been revealed to the folks in that room. And so there in the room, you have the teachers of the law. These dudes, the Bible experts, they know everything there is to know about the Bible. 
They have large portions of the scriptures memorized and they're sitting there and they hear Jesus say, your sins are forgiven. And they think within themselves, man, this guy is blaspheming. And the word blasphemy just means to speak evil of. This guy is speaking evil because there's only one being that can forgive sins. And that is God and God alone. In other words, they did not know Jesus' true identity. They didn't know that he was God. They just thought he was some rabbi because they were looking at a human being like you and like me. And I can totally understand that train of thought. I mean, imagine if I came up to you today, I looked you in the eyes and said, guess what? I forgive all of your sins. You can go to heaven now. You would think in your mind, this guy is nuts. This guy is absolutely crazy. There's only one person that can forgive sins and that's God and you're not him. And so that's what these guys were thinking. But Jesus is going to use the opportunity that this man's brokenness provides to prove to them that he is no ordinary man, but to prove to him to them that he is the God man. And it's going to come through this miracle that he's going to do in, their li- in this man's life. It's going to come through the transformation that he's going to bring about in this man's life. So these guys think that, and then Jesus immediately responds to their thoughts. And, And by the way, this is just a sidebar. The fact that Jesus can read a person's thoughts is evidence that he is God. Because there's only two people who can read people's thoughts. You... You're the only one who can read your own thoughts. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11 says, the only person who knows the thoughts of that individual is the spirit of that person, okay? So the fact that, that, that Jesus knows these guys' thoughts is proof that he is God. I mean, I might be able to, to make an educated guess about what you might be thinking right now. Perhaps uh, you wish I would wrap this sermon up already because you're getting a little hungry. But... But that would just be a guess. When Jesus addresses their thoughts, he hits the nail right on the head. No one objects when Jesus starts to speak, which just says he knew exactly what they were thinking, and that's proof that he's God. But that's beside the point. Jesus says, I'm going to prove that I'm God by the miracle that I'm going to do in this man's life, by the transformation that I'm going to bring about in this man's life. I'm going to prove that I'm God by doing that which is humanly impossible. I'm going to heal this man, which will also prove that I can do the humanly impossible, which is forgive sins. And so Jesus does. He says, get up, take up your mat and go home. And the dude is paralyzed, gets up, rolls up his mat and walks out and everyone goes crazy. Oh my goodness, I can't believe this. I've never seen anything like this. You see, the world is not gonna believe that Jesus is God and the world is not going to believe that Jesus can forgive sins if they don't see people walking with God who shouldn't be walking with God. People like me. The people are not going to believe that Jesus is God and that he can forgive sins if they don't see people hoping who shouldn't be hoping because of their circumstances. The world is not going to believe that Jesus is God and that he can forgive sins if they don't see people praising who shouldn't be praising because of what's going on in their life. And the world is not going to believe that Jesus is God and that he can forgive sins if they don't see people rejoicing 
who shouldn't be rejoicing because of their circumstances. And so when the world sees miracles and transformation like that, they scratch their head and they say, why? Why are you rejoicing? Why are you walking when you shouldn't be walking? Why are you hoping when you shouldn't be hoping? Why are you trusting? Why are you praising? What is going on? This is humanly impossible. And that's what we want. They ask you the question, why? And you can say, Jesus, he's my God. He's, give, he's forgiven my sins. He's given me a reason to hope, a reason to praise, a reason to rejoice. I'm going to heaven. He has enabled me to be this way. He has done the humanly impossible in me. And guess what? He can do the humanly impossible in you as well. As, see, God, he's able to use our brokenness. So he uses it. Whatever we've gone through what we're going through today and what we will go through, he uses it to reveal himself to the world and to show them their need for the forgiveness of sins. Pastor Adam mentioned Jordan Reinman, just all of her life, the, all of the difficulties she faced, and it was a mystery. No one understood why she was going through what she was going through. And just asking those questions to the Lord, why God, why God, why God, only to find out a year late last year that she had Kabuki syndrome. And now, Today, she understands why she's broken because God wants to use her brokenness to reveal his identity to the whole world as she is an international speaker going around the world, giving people the hope and message of Jesus Christ. Well, how are you able to to live and to praise and to rejoice even though you're broken, Jesus Jesus is my God, and Jesus has forgiven my sins. I think of Nick Vujicic, the guy we mentioned at the beginning of the story, the man with no arms and no legs. He wrestled with that question, why God? Why didn't you give me what you gave to everybody else? Why didn't you give me arms and why didn't you give me legs? I will not serve you, God, until you answer this question for me, why? Why am I broken when everybody else seems to be fine? And he got his answer when he read John chapter 9, the story of the man born blind. People asked, asked Jesus, well, why? Why was this man broken? Why, why was he born this way? And Jesus gave the answer so that the works of God might be displayed in his life for the whole world to see. When Nick read that, he got it. God wants to use my brokenness to reveal himself to the whole world. Nick has ministered to millions of people on the face of our planet. And in one interview that I looked at, over 200,000 people trusted in Jesus Christ because of Nick's ministry. If he wasn't broken, that could never, ever happen. You see, God has a purpose for your brokenness and for what you are going through. He wants to use it to reach the world. Will you give him that opportunity? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Your word is, is so powerful, able to get down deep. And we're thankful for the Holy Spirit who speaks to our hearts and shows us how to apply it in our day-to-day lives. 
Father, we just praise you. We, we bless you. We want to end this day or this, this time together by just singing to you, by declaring the praises of the one who's called us out of darkness and into light. And so I pray as we end that you would continue to minister to us, Lord. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. All right, let's stand and worship the Lord together. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.